0: This is Nikki, And this is John, and thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. Since this is the first episode, we thought it might be a good idea to explain why we chose 1991 for our podcast. Uh, in 2020, while attending a lot of online movie watch parties, we noticed that several of the most enjoyable films that were selected for us, or that we selected, were from 1991. And that got us looking at the full list of films that were released during that year. And we just saw so many unrated, underrated films. Not unrated. Underrated movies.
1: Could be unrated. (laughs) Yeah,
0: some of them are definitely unrated. Uh, Underrated movies that people and film buffs just aren't talking about as much anymore. And so we want to change that one movie at a time. Uh, 2021 also marks the 30th anniversary of these movies. And so even though we can only watch a small portion of them during this first year of our podcast, we'll continue to celebrate the 30th anniversary in 2022 and three and four.
1: And also, when we were looking at the films that were popular or all of the uh, really well-known movies from 1991, I noticed that I watched a vast majority of them. And during 1991, I was 10, 11, so that's peak years of when I was like a latchkey kid, just sitting at home watching a lot of TV and movies. And also we had cable and (laughs) Mm. my mom took me to the movies a lot. And we we always went to Blockbuster or we always rented movies. So I remember watching a lot of these movies and enjoying them. And I know that
0: You're looking through the list and you're like, oh, I love that one. Oh, I love that one. Oh, this is so fun.
1: And yeah, so I was like, oh, is 1991 the best year of movies?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Probably not, but you know what? We'll give it its proper due. And I've seen very few of them. I've seen like some of the major movies, but not even all of the biggest ones of this year. So it'll be good to have that mix of nostalgia and fresh, you know, former film school student perspectives.
1: Yeah, and maybe I'll give tidbits of what I was going through during 1991 while I was watching these movies as a preteen into teen years. Absolutely. So before we talk about this movie, I would just want to give a content warning or a trigger warning that we will be talking about rape sexual assault and then also there is a pet death
0: uh, so cape fear tells the story of the bowden family who are being followed by recently released convict max Cady, played by robert de niro 14 years ago Cady was represented by attorney sam bowden played by nick nolte but very poorly in katie's opinion so he is determined to exact slow but escalating revenge with this menacing presence stalking him around town Sam finds he needs to do everything he can to protect his wife and daughter. Based on a book by John D. McDonald, screenplay by Wesley Strick, directed by Martin Scorsese, and released on November 15th, 1991. But before we get to our feature presentation, how about some coming attractions?
1: Yes, we watched this movie on VHS for the first time. Fifteen minutes. minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. the VHS uh, copy crapped out on us that we had, uh, so we switched to streaming. But we got the best part of the VCR experience with the previews. So whenever previews
1: are the best part of any VHS.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's it's part of the nostalgia trip. Um, So whenever possible, we'll try to recap the previews of the movies that we saw. And this one started out strong. It had a, a promo for. Universal Studios. There was um, like a fake documentary commercial that was done in a prison setting where this documentary film crew was interviewing the prisoner saying, hey, have you heard what's coming to Universal Studios or have you heard about these new attractions that are opening this year?
1: I Um, mean, why would they know (laughs) they're in prison? I
0: (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Just like get them jealous. Like, hey, don't you wish you wouldn't have like stolen that car now? Right. You don't get to go on E.T. because you stole your Did own you bike. you know
1: that you can't go to Universal yeah. Studios? But, hey, let me tell you about this place you can't go to because you're in prison. Yeah.
0: You haven't but even yeah. seen these movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, they, like, advertised, like, the E.T. ride, uh, which really wasn't new at the time. Um, uh, I don't know.
1: I mean, when I, I went around that time... And that was the biggest thing that I remember.
0: It was it was big, but I, I was there probably a couple of years earlier, around, like, 1990-ish. That, uh, back when it was, like, first opening, and E.T. existed then, too, so. Right. Um, they they had showed, like, backdraft. King Kong Backdraft, which is going to be a future 1991 movie for us, uh, and then they had, like, a Beetlejuice monster rock show thing, where Beetlejuice was, like, singing and playing guitar alongside Frankenstein and the Wolfman and, yeah, Weird. I didn't
1: see this. Like, so. Yeah,
0: that didn't that, I don't think that existed when I went there or if it did I blocked it out of my memory completely. Um so it looked really interesting and then at the end of the promo the prisoners all got so excited about the Universal Rise that they bum rushed this fake crew and, and said, "Oh, I guess we're going to go now" and... to
1: go to Universal Studios.
0: <laughs> exactly. So go to Universal, full I of think convicts. That
1: was a promo for a lot of early 90s movies for vhs i think that was
0: before what, like wacky concepts with no real no for just i think
1: that specific commercial or promo was on every vhs
0: oh probably yeah especially during for that, that time yeah 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 because this was a universal movie so they probably put okay. it in front of everything yeah, universal yeah. um and then we saw a preview for the house sitter which uh starring Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn. Um, which that's
1: a, I like that movie, but it's a 1992.
0: It's a 1992 movie. So this, uh, since this movie released in November, they're going to have some overlap there. Uh, but following that was Murder 101, starring a pre-James Bond Pierce Brosnan, and that is 1991.
1: I so have not seen, and I'm I kind of seen. curious and excited to see because yeah. the promo looked. Bad good or good bad? Yeah,
0: it had potential. It had potential to go a bunch of different ways. So we'll see if it's uh, an intro class or what. Um, And then there was a promo for the original Cape Fear, which we did see separately afterwards. Um, And then the most interesting one, I think, to me, was they had like a commercial for VHS and home video in general. It wasn't promoting a specific brand. It wasn't promoting... Anything other than hey, you should you should enjoy home video stuff, and it was like done all in narration, like a PowerPoint presentation with like a slideshow with clip art type of a thing, um, narrated by I think the, like the Motel Six commercial guy, Tom Bodet, the "I'll leave lights on for you" guy, and he was just talking about the evolution of home entertainment and talking about like you know grab your pet, grab your popcorn, and grab a bunch of different videos, just general videos and enjoy. Uh, it was very surreal, uh, but we'll have pictures of that up on our website so you can enjoy the uh, the oddness of it with us. And then lastly, there was um, an ad to pick up your previously viewed copy of Cape Fear. <clears throat> yes. So on Cape Fear, there's an advertisement to buy Cape Fear, uh, probably because they're assuming that you're renting it and they knew it was going to be a rental copy somehow or whatever, or they just... Yeah, just, yeah. and then... They're what?
1: like, oh, by the way, you can buy this thing. If
0: you think you're going to like this movie, for twenty five dollars, yeah, for twenty five dollars or <laughs> however much VHS, or whatever it
1: is. VHS tapes were in nineteen ninety one.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so those are the coming attractions. Now we can get into our feature. I think to talk about this movie, uh, we have to talk about Martin Scorsese as a director because his fingerprints are just all over this movie. Um, It's not that he has a specific style per se, but just that uh, the visuals are very front and center. The very active camera, very responsive and noticeable camera work with a lot of um, canted Dutch angles and a lot of... Mm. uh, A lot of weird uses of color and really trying to be like a neo-noir type of a a thing. Um, And the original movie from 1962, we should probably quickly mention that, that this is actually a remake of a 1962 movie starring Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck, uh, Martin Balsam. Um, That was also very much a noir, like Hitchcock-styled type of a movie. Shot all in black and white, and, and meant to be, you know, um, heavily dealing with shadows and lights. This kind of takes that in spirit, uh, but adds a lot more color. It plays a lot more with color, um, and also uh, the lighting is very obvious. In, in certain scenes, like in one of those opening scenes where um, Robert De Niro as Max Cady takes the keys away from Nick Nolte in one mm-hmm. of that first confrontations, you can see like the light glistening on. You know, the keys. yeah, the keys yeah. and the key elements of interest. The the lights flashing on the guns in certain scenes, like you have sprays of light across people's faces, like when um, uh, Nolte is on the phone and uh, Jessica Lang, his wife, uh, comes right you know, that across long the long you know, angle. Yeah, the, of the when he's on the phone. Exactly. So there's there's elements of that style in there, but he plays a lot more with color the other too.
1: Thing that caught me was the one part where he first comes to their house to taunt them and Mm -hmm. the fireworks. Yeah. The colors. Yeah. That he used. And I know that he used like a blue screen or green screen. Yeah. It was like all special Robert De Niro was just hanging on top of a, like a stoop or something. Yeah.
0: Knee up on like this fence or, or whatever, like this, yeah, this, um, brick fence or something like that. And there's just fireworks, July 3rd or July 4th fireworks in the background, just creating pops of color. Um, and, you know, happy, happy moment with, like, a menacing <laughs> a creepy figure. creepy moment. <laughs> yeah, happy moment with menacing figure uh, in the foreground. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting uses of color in this, too. Like, he fades to, to red uh, a couple times in a couple of the shots. Mm -hmm. which is odd. That's very rare that that happens. I think that happened in, like, a Hitchcock movie, but whatever. Um, And he also, like, takes the color completely out of it and even flips the image. So it goes from color to black and white, and then it goes into a complete reverse negative image, so, like, a photo negative, where all the whites are black and the blacks are white. That happens a couple different times, mostly in, like, dream sequences or to...
1: Like in transition the into a dream beginning sequence Beginning and end when Juliet Lewis is she's the narrator of this movie, basically.
0: Yeah, she bookends it with narration. It's not throughout, it's just yeah, bookended for whatever. She reason. talks
1: in the beginning, yeah. and then at the end, and just the end where it focuses on her face and mm-hmm. then it becomes this black and white image and then
0: fade to black. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, very, very active camera, very noticeable work. Um but at the same time, uh like it, it, he does it for a specific off-putting effect, right? So like you have like the scene of Nick Nolte in the bathroom brushing his teeth in the mirror, and it's like this extreme close-up, and then you have um Jessica Lang in the background, and it's like composited together they're supposed to be in the same room but they're clearly shot separately Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: because it's meant to be disjointed like that it's meant to be jarring or when de niro is talking to juliette lewis who plays the daughter and he's on the phone he's hanging upside down doing some sort of exercise or whatever or planning to do some sort of exercise or getting blood rushed to his head or whatever it is and so the camera starts focused on him upside down, and then the camera slips upside down, so, you know, like... It's right side up. Yeah, so everything looks right side up, but it's still, like, off-putting and weird. And I think that's um, the intention of of all that. Um, But I say that to also mention that Scorsese contrasts that a lot with, like, some of the heavy dialogue scenes where he's... where the camera is almost absent... So you have, like, a couple scenes where Juliette Lewis is talking to De Niro in the school, and you have one where uh, Max Cady De Niro is in the convertible, and Nolte's on the street, and Nolte's trying to convince him to leave and pay him off. Mm -hmm. Like, in both of those cases, the camera is basically just focused, it's the exact same framing on each of the characters um, throughout the entire scene, and they just let the dialogue do its thing you know it's just it's just shot reverse shot and that's it so um long story short scorsese directed the hell out of this movie (laughs) sometimes for better sometimes for worse i would say largely for the better
1: so i have a tidbit i don't know if this movie was originally developed by steven spielberg Mm-hmm. who he ev- he eventually decided it, this movie was too violent for him and traded it to Scorsese, and Steven Spielberg went back to start directing Schindler's List. Huh. And that's when Scorsese decided to make this. And St- Spielberg stayed on as a producer, though. Yeah. To help them out and then chose not to be credited on the finished film,
0: though. It was the, uh, the first R rated Amblin Entertainment movie. And it's also the first major studio film that Scorsese had made, evidently. It was like part of a two picture deal with Universal, and then the second picture that he made in that deal was Casino in 1995. Um, but evident- Scorsese probably wasn't really that big of a name back then, from what I understand, which is... Which is weird. Which is weird, and I don't know how true that is, but I was reading, in researching this episode, uh, I was reading an article by Roger Ebert, which I found in his book Alone in the Dark. You can also find it on the, their website, um, where he's basically like wrestling with the idea of reviewing a movie simply based on if it's entertaining, or should he put it in the context of the filmmaker? Because he was a huge proponent of Scorsese, which is understandable, taxi driver... Raging Bull, Goodfellas all came before this, and yet Scorsese was still potentially considered not a big enough name to be dropped in a movie review for a movie that he made.
1: Mm. Um,
0: he was afraid that... Um, or there was like maybe some like conversation in the film criticism world at this time about trying to not alienate the film buff, but also bring in the casual viewer. And if you talk too much about the director, then... You're going to alienate the casual viewer. Um, And it's just weird to see, like, Scorsese was, like, treated as, like, the litmus test for that because he's such a major name now that it seems weird that he wouldn't have been then. So, interesting article. Uh, Part of it was also that, like, I guess they were putting, like, teenager opinions in the film section in some major newspapers, and he took uh, offense to that. That, you know, they basically put, like random public people's opinions on USA today
1: oh like um,
0: a pre yelp
1: or something yeah
0: yeah <laughs> like pre rotten tomatoes or pre yeah. pre whatever um and it's like well look i'm doing my job for a reason and i'm i'm you know uh, the score in this movie uh i think is also very much worth mentioning uh because we have the score by elmer bernstein um who's a fantastic composer. Uh, and he primarily used an arrangement of Bernard Herman, another fantastic composer, who did the original Cape Fear score. Um, but as part of this, he also included parts of Herman's unused score for a movie, Torn Curtain. Um, and altogether, like, it's just, the music is at times overpowering, but it's extremely yeah. powerful.
1: Yeah, and then they use the same score as the first movie, and then also we can talk about it later. The Simpsons episode yeah, kind of uses it a little also bit. Uses
0: that that main through line. So if you've seen the Simpsons episode and you know the score, you know the the major.
1: Yeah, uh, it's very Hitchcockian because I think that composer Hitchcock has used him for a lot of his movies. Yes. So if you know that, yeah. you know it. <laughs> if yeah, you so know, it's, you know. it's
0: very heavy and it's very uh, very good at building and, and um, sustaining the suspense of scenes. So especially like during like the stalking scenes, you know, just you mm-hmm. have these very loud um, string and horn elements to it. Yeah, it's really nice and, and creepy.
1: Yeah, they don't do that anymore. Kind of for any. Sort of scary or suspenseful movies?
0: No, they really don't. They they keep it a lot... These days it's like a lot of like um, piano or like synth or... Yeah, everything's you know, kind
1: of synthy. Yeah, just
0: like a prolonged... It's like a lot of prolonged notes. hmm So uh, this is... It's not like a big band orchestra type of a thing, but it's definitely... It's definitely 1960s inspired. You can you can hear that style in it, but it, it works very well. We got Nick Nolte as the lead, uh, Sam Bowden. Um, he
1: I, I'm actor, not a fan. <laughs> yeah, as an
0: actor, he's not the best in this role. Um, I thought he was just very stoic, and he's like saying all the words, but he kind of like acts like a sociopath. He doesn't have like many real feelings that come through all that much. Uh, his, all right. his character is also kind of an idiot for being an attorney. There's a lot of times where he just does things that do not make logical or legal sense that he should know is not right. And I guess the intention is that, well, he's just trying to you know protect his family and do whatever he can to protect the family, but boy, there's a lot of stupid mistakes.
1: Yeah, I mean... As someone who works in the legal field, he's just there's certain parts where when Katie, Max Katie, comes into their house and kills the private investigator that's helping them out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with a gun and then drops the gun and, you know, he runs off, Katie runs off. And then Nick Nolte, Sam Bowden, finds the private investigator on the floor bleeding out and then he just picks up the fucking gun
0: yeah. <laughs> and, and then like, he, slips in the blood. Yeah. Like,
1: he's slipping around in the blood and he,
0: he's like <laughs> touching all this stuff and he like <laughs> and slips like, and you falls in the blood and then just <laughs> leaves the crime scene and calls the cops like, yeah, I know it's going to look bad, but trust me, I'm good. And, and like, he goes and like confronts Max Katie in a public place. Yeah. And basically says, you know, you I'm gonna get kill out of you here, basically. Then this is you know, bad things in are front going of to, other happen to you.
1: Yeah.
0: uh which Katie, you know, records for use against him later because Yeah.
1: I mean wouldn't you know since you Katie at least you know how Katie is as a person? Like he is coming after you. Right. Wouldn't you know that he's taunting you and he's gonna do this?
0: There had been enough instances at that point where Katie had been manipulating the situation. He's always, like, trying to ride on the edge of the law where he's, like, pushing the envelope and doing things just enough to make uh, Bowden react. And so, like, that, that's happened enough that he should know not to make that move at that point. So, yeah, Bowden. He definitely doesn't bring it on himself, but he definitely doesn't help de-escalate in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Like, he doesn't deserve this treatment, right? Katie yeah. is a criminal that is established in this. It's, um, the reason it's happening is, like I said, uh, Katie was represented by Bowden. Bowden actually withheld evidence in a case that could have helped exonerate him. Um, but uh, the assumption, based off of, like, some of the, the other dialogue in the film... Is that Katie had per, had performed not only this crime but other crimes in the past. He had raped multiple women, and so yeah, and uh,
1: this was just a case against just,
0: one woman. This is one woman who was like trying to to do the right thing, and maybe he, he could have gotten yeah. away with it if that evidence had come out. Um, but Bowden said, you know, it's more yeah, important. Yeah, he's him to just be behind really bars.
1: mad. Kate Max Katie just has a hardcore. Vendetta against Sam Bowden, leaving out just this one instance where the woman that is, you know, filing against Max Katie, we don't even get into that. It's very, right. it's, it's very, it's very minimal. vague or minimal. But just from the information, it just seems that Sam Bowden didn't do his job as a defense attorney. And he left out the part where this woman that he raped was a promiscuous woman. And she also was sleeping around with other people or had multiple affairs, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, who cares? Right. Why is that just...
0: Yeah, yeah, the assumption is that yeah, it, it could have possibly helped him become free because it would have given a reasonable doubt.
1: Whatever, um, I don't think he would
0: have, but yeah,
1: who knows? To that with the was say justice in, system? And that's yeah, part of right. what
0: Ileana Douglas says as well. Um, we'll talk about her character probably right. a bit. Right,
1: and that was in the state of Georgia 14 years prior.
0: Right, to so, 1991 or whenever right. this movie takes place. Um, so... That's that's the whole reason. Like, Katie feels like he was wronged by Sam, and so now he's out to make Sam feel the same pain. You know, the mm-hmm. same loss of life um, by exacting it on his family. Uh, and so, yeah, first, unfortunately, is the dog. But thankfully, they don't show anything happening to the dog.
1: Yeah, you the just first hear yeah. dialogue
0: that he's poisoned.
1: Yeah, he first comes for their dog, and I'm really glad they didn't show the dog dying they just imply it they talk about it but i know in the first movie they show the dog yeah in 1962
0: they them the 1960 they show it 1962
1: movie yes yeah. but i'm glad that they left that out cuz if they showed that i would have been
0: extremely upset yeah absolutely um and then yeah, otherwise he's just menacing and, and just sort of omnipresent in in the area. Everywhere that the Bowden family goes, he is there watching. Yeah, he's in the movie theater taunting laughing him hysterically with his, his booby lighter and, uh, <laughs> and cigar. And then like
1: a side <laughs> note is that I thought this was kind of funny that the Bowdoin family wants to go see Problem Child. Yeah,
0: Problem Child 1.
1: <laughs> the first Problem Child and. Max Katie just sits in front of them, cracking up at like every tiny oh, little like scene, crazy. and he's probably doing that just to be a dick. But yeah, I thought it was just, to sort of
0: make him. I mean, know. is Problem
1: Child really that funny that you're cracking up?
0: Who knows what movies he'd seen in the past fourteen years? That could I know be this is probably his first movie
1: the, he's seen two in a long him. time.
0: Uh, but Problem Child too coming soon to the 1991 movie. Yeah, <laughs> <Rewind. laughs>
1: stay tuned for that. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, he, so yeah, he's there. He at the follows him at
1: the ice cream store at a parade. parade I'm yeah, assuming the 4th, of July, 4th of July. Yeah.
0: He's staring across the street and just always sort of provoking and, and, um, you know, letting him know he's, <clears throat> he's there and he's like circling around the house. Like we said, he's, he was sitting on the fence during the fireworks. Um, he's just, he's just always there. And up until he starts.
1: Coming for the daughter. Yes.
0: Yeah, he starts uh, making small advances at the wife a tiny bit, but mostly it's about the daughter. Um,
1: I think his um, charges in the reason why he went to prison was because he raped a 16 year old go- girl.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the daughter is 15. She's 15 going, going on 16. 16. So there's Played that, by Juliette but, Lewis.
1: Who's amazing in it. Yes.
0: Um, but before he gets to that part, he also goes after Nulti's emotional affair at work, uh, played by Ileana Douglas. I think her name was. Lori. Lori. Yeah, I had it there somewhere. Um, and. Um, so they, yeah. they aren't officially cheating. They, they both say that they haven't gone that far yet, but they
1: but they go both on want a to date or, or they're whatever. hanging out. They're and playing racquetball together. They plan together. on
0: meeting each other at a bar. Yeah. And then Max Katie takes things. Uh, he sees this because he's following Bowden around. Exactly, he knows that it's a, a potential spot of interest. He knows that so this he is starts
1: someone to that, go after, after Ileana Douglas's character.
0: Exactly. Nulty cares about this person, so he can't have He's that. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to, yeah. Max Cady's going to gonna go
1: after everything that Nulty cares about. And
0: and Ileana Douglas <laughs> does a really good job in the scene where, uh, where De Niro picks her up at the bar. Like, they're they're having a really, you know, interesting conversation about their past or, you know, their they're whatever. And they're just, you know, um, they're laughing it up at the bar and then they, they get taken back home.
1: I yeah, guess. she's... But she's great yeah, in it.
0: Yeah, she's great in it. She's, she's
1: one of the few people that's good in that movie. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, and then uh, back at the apartment, Katie uh, ties her up or handcuffs her and bites her cheek. Maybe more. They don't show anything more, uh, but the implication is there because of the hospital scene at the you know afterwards, where she's bandaged up and, and refuses to testify because the court system won't believe a woman. Yeah. Or she just doesn't want to be put through the questioning that would come through, um, I mean, it, I think maybe it also
1: item. out that she and, S- and Bowden yeah. were quote unquote together or having an affair.
0: Right. And I think
1: he was trying,
0: she was trying to protect to him a little bit, him, but, eh. but it was, I think it was primarily about, I don't want to be put through these questions. I don't want to have my character questioned. Um, And you know the court system is not in favor of women,
1: and that shows the scene where he's on the phone with her, and Jessica Lang, his wife, finds out. You know that she can figure it out that they were having an affair.
0: Yeah, and they were
1: they start fighting and juliet lewis i think i like juliet lewis in that part where they're fighting because you know she's distraught and but she runs into her room she like calls her friend up or she's Throws listening the to music r- on. she yeah, turns the music on the really loud she's watching music videos and listening to <laughs> right <laughs> music at the same time which yeah. I guess as a team, yeah, I kind of just felt with her because that's what I would have done if, you know, parents are fighting or something awkward's happening in your household. You just want to run away and then shut everything
0: out. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but I think that also shows that uh, this character played by Nick Nolte, the, you know, the Sam Bowden character is somewhat flawed like he's not a prince in the 1962 movie you know it's basically you know heroes are heroes and villains are villains and you know there's there's no that's just how it's supposed to be but this guy is you know he's a cheat he's got temper issues or whatever it is and he's you know withholding evidence like he's not a saint for whatever reason but um he also doesn't deserve this level of torture from this convict right so uh, I think that's one thing that the movie does is balances it out and shows, like, yeah, this can be a flawed person and still be a protagonist yeah, that's and, and hero. the
1: one thing that I like the 1991 movie more, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just because they tie in the Ileana Douglas character. They don't talk about... They don't even show that or anything in the first movie or the original. No. And then it's not even mentioned in the book so i i kind of liked how i mean it makes you feel for this family but then also yeah nick nolte's character is not that great of a person
0: so all of this leads up to uh de niro um pretending to be juliet lewis's uh acting teacher for a uh, summer school um And basically, like coaxing her to meet him in the downstairs theater in the school for her drama class. Um, and during that conversation, like he's extremely flirty with her, and she's flirting back because she thinks it's a teacher, and she wants to be sort of a rebel. Um, Yeah. uh, Or or maybe he's just very charming or whatever. And then. She gets to the school through this weird, like, long underground thing. Yeah, the
1: theater is in the basement,
0: which I don't know. With this weird, you know, it's just like a long, like, pipe filled corridor, and like, she's not seeing any other students near there. You'd think at some point she'd realize that, you know, this is not accurate information and she should not go into the theater. But she does, and she quickly realizes that it is not a drama teacher, but it is Max Katie, and she continues to talk to him and uh, continues to sort of flirt with him um, because she wants to be more grown up than she actually is, perhaps, or who knows what. Uh, but it's a very interesting, powerful, and very creepy scene.
1: Yeah, this was the most disturbing scene for me, even yes.
0: when there's
1: actual violence going on and blood and biting of cheeks and beating up.
0: Yeah and boiling being water. set on fire. Yeah.
1: This this was the most disturbing scene for me.
0: Absolutely.
1: But mainly because of Juliet Lewis, she's at this And she's, like, 17 years old while they're filming this movie. I think 17, 18.
0: Yeah, she might be 18.
1: And Robert De Niro, he's, what, like, in his 40s? I'm not sure. Probably, yeah.
0: (laughs) I didn't think to look that up. I'm I'm assuming. Too old is what I knew.
1: (laughs) Right. So, yeah, this scene, if you want to keep going, is... I, I don't want to go for it. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a big back and forth where uh, De Niro like expresses uh, all kinds of like knowledge and, about literature and life and poetry and and uh, sexuality. Um, yeah, and
1: it, she, yeah, I guess she's and just she's trying, trying to look soak cool. it
0: all in and try to look cool and try to not be threatened by this clearly threatening person. Um, and like a weird, you know, semi attraction or she's faking a semi attraction. It's really tough to tell at the moment. And then uh, he gets closer and closer and uh, he puts his thumb into her mouth
1: and, multiple times. Yeah,
0: and she's
1: sort of sucking on <laughs> and, it. Yeah. And they kiss.
0: And then they kiss.
1: And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's a long scene, but it's, it's a, again, a, a powerful one. And, and it's one where, again, Scorsese, Scorsese just lets the camera
1: keep going. Yeah. Then,
0: really. it, it's just like the, the two shots is just, you know, um, there's nothing crazy going on except for the, the crazy dialogue and characters. Um,
1: yeah. And then Scorsese, from what reading online, Scorsese filmed this scene three times and he used the first
0: take. Which was like largely improvised by the two actors.
1: Mostly Robert De Niro because I think Scorsese told Juliet that Robert is gonna do something to her. Yeah. And for her to just watch out. All she I think all she knew was that they were going to eventually kiss. So the thumb sucking and stuff like that, I think that was the uh, the improv the that
0: improv, yeah. De
1: Niro was going towards. And I guess, I mean, I'll add this, is that to prepare for, I guess, De Niro to prepare for this scene, or not scene, but his entire look... He paid a doctor five thousand dollars to grind down his teeth for this role,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> which
1: okay. to just to look menacing. Which I didn't even stare didn't, at his teeth at all, or no, he didn't not really.
0: Even in the cheek biting scene, didn't notice. Didn't yeah,
1: notice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. Did not notice. stare at his teeth I, at all i think
0: most of the time he i don't even think he smiled he was, well i guess when he was laughing in the theater but that was a dark yeah theater, but the cigar really, smoke all around him. right
1: and then he later paid twenty thousand dollars to have his teeth restored after the film ended yeah, or produced so or production was over
0: there goes his salary
1: so i mean he was probably getting what Millions. Oh I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> there goes his whole salary. There goes this for this whole movie. salary. For his for his
0: teeth. Can't open another Nobu location. Um,
1: right, but I thought that was. I don't know, not interesting. I just thought that I was like, okay, well, you're really going for it. I mean, I it's guess. interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, it's interesting that you took all those steps and it made no to wait, noticeable to impact. Right. For the end product. I mean, whatsoever. he
1: did prepare by working out and becoming really hardcore swole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was, and he was a little the bit
1: tattoos, jacked. the fake tattoos all over his body, which
0: yeah.
1: were different from, the original
0: movie, because Robert Mitchum did not have any did not. tattoos. He was, a, a, he was a, shirtless, a most massive, of them. Yeah, he was a massive, imposing man with a Panama hat, pretty much at all right. times. Right, he
1: was known as the man with that Panama hat, and shirtless. Yeah, <laughs> I don't and know. shirtless. Which, <laughs> I thought, so you haven't seen this movie, I don't think, but Rod, Robert Mitchum also played sort of like a serial killer in the movie night of the hunter
0: i have not seen night of the Hunter*. No. i actually
1: i like robert mitchum he was scarier in that role more than he is as max katie in cape fear mm. and in that movie he has these knuckle tattoos and one of them says love and the other one says hate
0: Ah, so that's where that came from for the simpsons episode then yes <laughs> but Which, we'll, we'll get to this in the yeah <laughs> we're
1: gonna keep <laughs> keep bringing it up and so yeah that's where they got that but i was looking for those tattoos in the yeah. first movie and there were none
0: yeah i, I so was expecting the tattoos to see something
1: and as de niro that was just to look more like a a villain, yeah, I just guess.
0: a villain. Because tattoos equaled villain back even in nineteen ninety one. So it's kind of weird that they wouldn't even have like you know the trade, you know the stereotypical like anchor tattoo or something like that, right? To, on or Mitchell. mom or whatever right. a
1: tattoo. Well, I think he did the have heart some, with some an arrow similar, or a skull right.
0: or something. Um. So yeah, after the theater scene happens, you know, there's there's a. Um, we could probably
1: She flees, but she, yeah, she's yeah, she ends up freaked fleeing out.
0: And and is freaked out to a degree, but she still like likes him enough to the point where the dad has to confront her Like you and cannot leave this like, house. Do not do anything. This is a dangerous man. But he doesn't really like I don't understand why he doesn't just like sit down and tell her, like, look, this dude is a pedophile rapist do not go near him. He's very dangerous. Yeah, he just tells her, He hey, just says, hey, stay in the house. Like, he doesn't explain, like, the reason behind it. If you're going to tell
1: it. a 15-year-old girl to just stay in the house and give zero reason, yeah. then she's going to want to go out. Right. She's going to do the opposite.
0: Which is, yeah, which is what her character is like. So I mean, right. like, why not just tell her the freaking truth? Yeah, she's again.
1: 15. She's not five. You can tell a 15-year-old adult type situations i think just saying hey this guy sexually yeah, this, assaulted yes. another
0: young girl such as you right um so shortly after that that's when he puts the hit on uh katie right
1: yeah he hired uh, some, hires goons some goons to through a private to
0: investigator to to rough him up not kill but just rough up and try to run him, him out of bit. town and that's where the iconic line, come out, come out, wherever you are, happens, because Katie is hiding behind a dumpster, uh, but makes a noise, and so...
1: Yeah, and then... Or, I'm
0: sorry, uh, uh,
1: Bowden. Bowden is hiding right, behind right, a
0: dumpster, uh, and Katie hears it, and so knows he's there. So that
1: part, I got uh, at this time when I was watching this movie, I thought that whole... Well, first, the whole theater scene was the end of the movie because I thought he kidnapped her and that all, all that gross stuff was happening. Hmm. And then I thought she was hiding and then him saying, come out, come out, wherever you are, was hmm. towards Juliette Lewis. Oh, okay. So I think I was just getting everything mixed up. I, the only That yeah. was the only part in the movie that I remember is watching this when I was younger.
0: <laughs> Not the end scene with the boat.
1: No, I don't even, I remember <laughs> the boat, but I thought he, I thought De Niro and Juliette Lewis, like he took her there on his own. I don't know. This is yeah, 1991 it's you, yeah, it's young Nikki was thinking back how, then. how
0: your memory just sort of right. you know, loses track of stuff. Um, but they do end up on the boat. Cape Fear actually appears in the movie after, like, about, the la- you know, in the last 30 minutes or so.
1: Yeah, and they live in a town called New Essex, North Carolina, but I looked it up, and there is no New Essex, North Carolina. There's an Essex, North Carolina, and it's, like, two and a half hours north of Cape Fear. Okay. So I don't know if that's... So it's a bit of
0: a drive. I don't know if that's it's still meant, to be, the meant to
1: be in that same city, but that drive is a long drive for... Robert De Niro to be hanging under a truck, hanging there with a belt loop. Yes. On the under, undercarriage and him holding himself up
0: with heated metal.
1: Right, blowing in his face for a couple hours without skidding on any concrete. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the plot goes a little high I I expected that scene to be in the nineteen sixty two movie. I think you probably were hoping for it to be. Yeah, the
1: two. I was waiting for that because that was
0: so, but no, it's just a, a simple, crazy scene to see like of Robert him just like under
1: because they show them driving and the him hanging yeah underneath for that duration.
0: They yeah they show um, they show him coming out from underneath the car um, and and uh, there's a cameo an unspoken no words cameo from Esther Rolle who is uh, played Florida in Good Times uh, has an uncredited appearance there as the lady who makes a crazy face at uh, this. <laughs> this weirdo who's crawling out from under a car. Um, that was
1: the uh, comedy relief in the yeah, entire movie. The, like
0: the, basically the one piece of comic relief in that movie. Um, I I wish I wouldn't have seen the Simpsons episode before seeing this movie because I think that moment of him being revealed as being under the car the whole time would have been a lot more insane. It would have been mm-hmm. like a mu- much more enjoyable reveal had i not seen sideshow bob um underneath the car getting hit by speed bumps um, (laughs) going through the cactus patch (laughs) um and all these other things uh that kind of ruined that scene for me um but i will still highly enjoy the simpsons episodes every single time um so there was a Simpsons episode that, that parodied this movie basically exclusively. It was like an entire 30 minute episode or 22 episode, uh, that, that parodied this movie, um, in, in various different scenes. Um, no rakes in the 1991 movie, but there are in the Simpsons, uh, episode.
1: Right. There's many rakes. <laughs>
0: there's many, there are many, many rakes. And he um, steps
1: on the same four <laughs> right over
0: here. and over again. He's very disoriented from going through that <laughs> cactus patch. Uh, but yeah, uh, if if anything, you can take away from Cape Fear It's that it produced one of the best Simpsons episodes. Uh, yeah. So it has that going for it. Right. Um. So after he climbs out from the car, they're you know the family's in the houseboat. They think everything's okay, uh, and then surprise, Max Katie is is there with them. Um, in on the river, with no one around.
1: Right, and torrential downpour. On this. I guess the river, but there's a quote-unquote squall that's happening, which I don't know anything about. I don't know either. Nautical things. No. And I... I know it's a word. That's all I got. (laughs) I know there's a movie called White Squall. (laughs) Um, But I this houseboat is you know moving up and down like it looks like 20 foot waves just in a river which i'd never seen a river go that crazy but i mean i know there's like yeah i know there's rapid rivers so who knows Uh, i don't know but the the houseboat is going up down left right around in circles and it's just very hard for them to be out there during this torrential downpour and then also max katie shows up and there's a lot of fighting in the water
0: (laughs) there's a lot of fighting on the houseboat there's a lot of fighting in the water yeah so yeah yeah after things crash uh, i mean there's there's a lot of action in that last 30 minutes or so much more so than like the slow build that comes up to it um slow but effective build um but yeah, there's, there's a lot of action and a lot of fighting and, and um, flames in the face and boiling water in the face. Right.
1: The, uh, d- Robert De Niro gets it multiple times. And yeah. he's like a cat with nine lives and he will not die. No. He's
0: just... <laughs> he says he's conditioned himself over the 14 years in prison. Right, and to feel pain. And that's the to be basically like a horror movie villain. Yeah. Um,
1: and, you know, near the end, in the river, I guess, he's, you know, starting to speak in tongues because... Well, and then, you know, the whole mock trial thing was a little weird.
0: Right. There's, yeah, there's, a, there's because, a longer mock trial part you know, in the houseboat.
1: Before all this, he never knew how to read. And he learned how to read in law prison. books and the Bible in prison. So he once, you know, he has the whole family in that houseboat. He starts this weird mock mock trial
0: with God as the judge, who's who he is appealing to, right? Um, Yeah, so he's he's very (laughs) much a man of God, and uh, yeah, basically trying to say that that Sam Bowden is is um, a a massive sinner because of withholding this evidence and it's supposed to be this big big deal. But I mean, in all honesty, I think to the movie's credit, they don't make Katie out to be innocent in that specific case. You know, it's, it's, you know, he still deserved that time. Um, So I think that's, that's something that was interesting. But yeah, so that's why he speaks in tongues is because he feels he is a man of God who needs to take it upon himself to impose the vengeance and wrath of God on on Sam (laughs) Bowden. Or through his family. Um, so he's speaking in tongues while he's dying in the river and uh, quotes a couple of Bible verses and then slowly sinks into the river, and staring down
1: the right. road the
0: entire time. Which was a little creepy. Until he dies, assumedly.
1: Yeah, you they don't really verify if he's dead. They're
0: no. just... But he was shot, right? He was shot. He
1: was shot. He was blowtorched in the face, basically. Yeah.
0: So the assumption is that he doesn't have the ability to get up from that stuff. So, um, And he was almost bashed in the head with a rock, too, which would have been a callback to the 1962 movie, where that's how uh, Gregory Peck got away from Robert Mitchum, is he hit him with the rock uh, on the top of the head and then was able to shoot him and then escape uh, or or, you know, whatever have him arrested again um
1: yeah i actually i like the ending of the original movie more than the 1991 movie because that's
0: interesting
1: because he he let him live and he was like no i'm not going to give you
0: yeah i'm not going to uh, give you the satisfaction the of, the of, satisfaction death. Death. You're of run dying i you're want you to rot more. in prison yeah.
1: again yeah. So I kind of like that more. Yeah,
0: I understand that. I think I like the metaphorical side of the 1991 ending more. Um, because, like I said, he was grabbing the rock. And, like, before that happened, like, Katie, like, in his part of his rant and, and as part of, like, his explanation of why he was punishing him, he was saying that he wants, you know, he wants to teach the Bowdens or or teach Sam specifically, like, how to be an animal. Like, he, he's going to teach you to be an animal. Mm-hmm. And so you have Sam Bowden, like, at the edge of this river, uh, the storm has finally subsided. He's grabbing this massive rock over his head, and he's crouched and he looks like basically like a monkey at at the at that moment. Um, and like after after de Niro uh, Max Cady, dies in the river, there's like no spoken dialogue in the movie after that yeah. point, except for Lewis uh, Lewis's narration. Um, so they're basically like speechless animals and crouching like monkeys, and, you know, like so he got his wish. He was, they were, they became animals at the end, whether they liked it or not. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like that aspect of it in terms of post movie accolades. Um, so we can talk really quickly about some of the cast. So we talked about the 1962 movie with Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. Um, they both make cameos in this movie. Gregory Peck plays an attorney who represents Max Cady in a restraining order case. Uh, Martin Balsam is the judge in that case. Martin Balsam plays a cop friend uh, in the original. And Robert Mitchum is a good guy cop, sort of, in this 1991 movie. Um, But he suggests that Sam take the law into his own hands. Um, So three of the original cast members do appear. Um, We will not see Robert Mitchum again on this podcast. This was his only 1991 film. Uh, Martin Balsam we will see again. And Gregory Peck, we will see again. But this was the last movie that he uh, appeared in. In Awards for acting. Shall we get into awards for acting? Let's do it. All right. Golden Globes. It was nominated for two Golden Globes. Uh, one was for Juliette Lewis. A well-deserved nomination, but Mercedes Rule won for The Fisher King. And then Robert De Niro was nominated for Best Male. Uh, But he lost to Nick Nolte, but not Not
1: for this movie, (laughs) not
0: for this movie, but for Prince of Tides. So we'll we'll see how well deserved that is at a later date.
1: I've seen that movie and I'm kind of it boggles my mind that Nick Nolte is seen as a heartthrob in the early 90s. Does not make sense. Does
0: not make sense at all.
1: And I even Googled why is Nick Nolte hot or why do (laughs) women find him attractive? And then I found out that he was the sexiest man alive on People magazine for the year of 1992.
0: I wonder, like, was he like the Blake Shelton of that era? Was that like the one that was like uh, the most controversial of the time? Maybe,
1: but I. I never look. I don't know. I all I remember from him is like down and out in Beverly Hills type of, <laughs> type of roles. So and but then I do remember him as being like romantic leads for random '90s movies, and I thought that was weird.
0: Yeah, he always he he always comes off to me as like a supporting role, like detective. He gives
1: type. me like Gary Busey vibes. Yeah, they're,
0: it's they're very interchangeable. Yeah, for sure. Um. So that's the Golden Globes, no wins, only the two nominations for the movie. Oscars, uh, again, only two nominations, both for Lewis and De Niro. Uh, Lewis lost to Mercedes Rule again. Uh, De Niro lost to Anthony Hopkins this time, but Nolte was nominated for Prince of Tides. Uh, but probably the most important awards is the MTV Movie Awards, <clears throat> and that garnered Which- three nominations. mm mm-hmm. um, Uh, One was for Best Male Performance for De Niro. He lost to Arnold Schwarzenegger for Terminator 2, of course. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, He was nominated for Best Villain, but he lost to Rebecca De Mornay for Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Which is... Which is (laughs) a 1992 movie. Amazing. I
1: don't know. (laughs) Um, It's amazing that she won over him. Yeah, and T-1000.
0: Which,
1: I want to know who the voters were for the because i mean yeah we're kids watching hand across to
0: cradle that much i mean i
1: watched i saw (laughs) that movie when i was younger but i i wasn't like hey rebecca de mornay is scarier than
0: these people did she have some like weird like guerrilla campaign or (laughs) honestly probably here's how the movie wars works is like who will show up Let's give the award to this person. So Rebecca
1: De Mornay was probably in like
0: agreed to be the there, and so she crowd. became the winner. Something yeah. like that. Who knows? Um, and then the third award uh, nomination, but not win, went uh, to Juliette Lewis and Robert De Niro together for best kiss, which is disturbing. A no. Yeah, that's that's a bad. And idea. I'm
1: very glad it did not win because if it did, I would be even more. I'd be cringing even more right yeah. now. I don't yeah. know.
0: I'll just think yeah. about it. Uh, but if you're curious, the winner for that one is was my girl with in uh, a klumsky schlumps think. Klumsky, klumsky. I think Klumsker, and, yeah. uh, and Macaulay Culkin, uh, which is deserved. Sure, why not? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, which is crazy to me. <laughs> do we talk about pop culture in 1991?
1: yeah we'll do true crime i'll do some three i found some true crime tidbits in this movie i'm not going to bring up true crime for every single movie it's just when i was watching this movie i was like oh i noticed i noticed this and this and this and then i related tidbits yeah and i after just reviewing a lot of reviews and archives. Uh, I went on like LA Times, Mental Flaws. I went on random websites to find out. I even went on YouTube and I found Ileana Douglas did like a short little tidbit about her role in Cape Fear and I watched that. It was about a nine minute thing just to find out more about the movie. And the first thing, True crimey is that Ileana Douglas based her character on the preppy killer's victim, Jennifer Levin, who was murdered in Central Park by Robert Chambers in August of 1986. I'm not sure if you know anything I, about I
0: don't. I don't know anything about this.
1: It's just a short... I'm not going to delve into this, because there are one million podcasts about true crime, but... He just and we need claimed. to be the
0: millionth podcast about movies and stuff, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> he it's just the preppy killer Robert Chambers. He claimed the death was accidental. It, it, Jennifer Levin was like a woman that he dated briefly, and he sexually assaulted her like in Central Park, mm. and the result of her death was like a rough sex, quote unquote. Mm. Or I don't know. I don't want to put quotes on it. And later, he pleaded guilty to manslaughter, hmm. but she based that death
0: like took inspiration or, in terms of like character and the character development. Of that, yeah. yeah, of that. Type and
1: then of also, I kind of found out by reading just a little bit of it was that he did he did bite her and you know mm. beat her up a bit. So okay. I guess the biting was also referenced in the movie or helped De Niro. And that leads to Robert De Niro. He, I found this out and I thought this was extremely interesting because I like stuff like this. Robert De Niro consulted with Dorothy Lewis, who was Ted Bundy's psychiatrist Mm. during his time on trial or around that time. And that also made me think of the scene with Ileana Douglas, again, where he bites her cheek off because Ted Bundy had done the same thing to two women or girls in a sorority in Florida. Hmm. And, but he didn't bite them on the cheeks. He was biting them on other body other parts. parts. Okay. But they used his teeth marks that were on their body as evidence mm, in his trial. So when he, when, when I was watching the movie and I saw Robert De Niro chewing on or biting her cheek, that immediately made me think of Ted Bundy. And then when I looked this up and saw that De Niro consulted with the psychiatrist, so that made me really interested and kind of lit me up.
0: I think the biting was a De Niro suggestion. I don't think it was in the original script.
1: So maybe so he was inspired he, yeah, by this, asked, by consulting. Yes, by adding everyone. It, everyone. Or
0: consulting with that yeah. woman, perhaps.
1: Yeah. The last thing that's somewhat true crimey is that when he was in, when Max Katie, Robert De Niro, was in the house and he kills their, the Bowdens, um, their housekeeper, I guess, mm-hmm. or maid, and he he kind of hides her in a little corner and puts on her clothes and tries to represent or look as if he's the housekeeper. Yeah. Because... uh that doesn't work so well. Right. seem, like yeah. <laughs> to seem like he's the housekeeper because he's seen, you know, wiping down some dishes and stuff and the FBI or the... PI. PI that they use talks to her slash him. Right. Saying, oh, you're up late cleaning. And then all All Robert De Niro says is, "Uh uh-huh, basically.
0: (laughs) And all of a sudden, piano wire and then gunshot. Yeah, he
1: turns around, kills the PI. But that reminded me that that was similar to Hitchcock's Norman Bates in Psycho. Which Psycho is loosely based off of Ed Gein. Mm. Which also... Ed Gein is loosely based on another movie we'll be talking about, it's Silence of the Lambs.
0: Okay. I know very, very, very little about Ed Gein, so we'll be interested to dive in deeper right. at that time.
1: And so, going on to pop culture stuff that happened during that week. On a happier note. <laughs> <In> yeah. <1991. laughs> Moving on, I yeah. guess. So the biggest thing to happen that weekend on November 14th, 1991, was that the new Michael Jackson music video, Black or White, premieres simultaneously in 27 different countries to an audience of 500 million people. And that included me. Yes, me too. (laughs) Because I was obsessed with Michael Jackson.
0: It was a huge event. Like My parents didn't really care that much about music but like we still like we knew it was an event enough to like get the VCR ready and record it while it happened right like we had to put the VHS I'm sure it's still in the house somewhere
1: <laughs> I wish we had stuff like that I don't I'm think I'm sure we it's have still there somewhere like I don't
0: that. remember like <clears throat> I feel like it happened like after an In Living Color episode perhaps or maybe they just spoofed it or whatever but it was
1: yeah I remember there was sort of a countdown to it like a ten nine, 8 sort of thing. But I think they did that a lot with a lot of Michael Jackson videos.
0: It could be. It was also probably just a way to, like, you know, make sure, like, hit record right now. Right. Last chance. Um, because
1: this is the year of 1991, and there's no such thing as DVRs or TiVo yet. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Or we can't use the Internet because it hasn't been
0: invented Yeah, yet. there's no quick-time movies of this <laughs> or, uploaded at this point. And this is, I think, the only time the, the full version showed.
1: Right, because it's like a four-minute... Well, n- when it was shown on MTV and whatever VH1, it was a shortened version.
0: Yeah, they cut out a lot of the, the non-musical parts, and then there's like, controversy of him like destroying property and...
1: Yeah, him smashing windows, smashing cars, vandalizing, vandalizing cars, that, that causing
0: buildings to explode. Definitely a big, big moment in pop culture.
1: That was the biggest one, in that weekend. The other thing is that Friday night, the November fifteenth, nineteen ninety one, the day that this movie premieres, is TGIF. Oh yeah. <laughs> and ABC's TGIF what was playing during that time was Family Matters. Stefan Kell. uh huh. Right. Step by step.
0: Love it. Second time around.
1: Yep perfect strangers
0: uh-huh Belky yeah <laughs> and baby talk <laughs> and baby talk no reference no reference on that one don't know it
1: <laughs> um I mean I vaguely remember it and it was supposed to be like a look who's talking type of uh, yeah, yeah thing and uh, I think Tony Danza was the the baby the, Okay. The, who's who, talking yeah who, who's <laughs> the, the baby, baby? talk <laughs>
0: <laughs> they didn't call it Who's the Baby? They called it Baby Talk. Right.
1: But... And then on NBC was Matlock. All right. Flesh and Blood, which I don't Don't remember know. that one. And Dear John, which
0: I used to watch a lot. Yeah, that was a good one. I and Reasonable too. Doubts, which I also do not also know. Also don't know. If it wasn't funny, I didn't care that much. And those two shows I didn't know about did not sound funny to me.
1: Also, famous birthday on that day, on November 15th, 1991, Shailene Woodley was born into this world.
0: And still around. Yes.
1: <laughs> 30, she will be 30
0: years this year. Wow. Um, so, ratings time. Let's rank right. this thing. Um, so, what <clears throat> would you give it?
1: Okay, so I go off of a five, one to five star scale, I usually use the Goodreads scale, and one equals I hate it, two is meh, three is it's okay, four is I really like it, and five is I love it, I give this movie a three, it's just okay.
0: We didn't talk a whole lot about the 1962 movie, but what would you give that? Since we did watch it too,
1: uh, I give that a three. It's okay. It was okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, for me, I use the zero to four star scale that um, you know the pros use, the professional film critics would use, with the half stars mixed in there. Um, so for the 1962 one, I'd say it's probably a two out of four. It's, you know, average. It had had some good moments, but it was a little bit too slow and didn't have the right pacing for me. Uh this one 1991 I would say it's a 3 out of 4. I think it is uh, a lot better than I expected it to be, honestly. So the other question of course is every movie is worth watching at least once, but would you watch it again?
1: Um I would watch it if someone like if we do another
0: Watch Party. Watch
1: Party, yes. And someone mentions, hey, let's watch Cape Fear. I will be fine with that. Yeah. Because, you know, it'd be fun to comment with other people. And if it was on TV in the background, maybe I'll watch it. But I'm not going to go seek out this movie. And I'm never going to be in the mood to watch this movie, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That that makes sense. You're not going to.
1: I'm not going to think about it five months from now and be like, I really want to watch Cape Fear. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, but if it's on, I'll be like, and someone's around it's and says, "Hey, do you want to?" Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm with <laughs> you, but yeah, I'm not going to pick up my previously viewed copy of Cape Fear after renting no. it this one time. So
1: <clears throat> yeah, this is a one-time
0: this, yeah. rental
1: and never buying and never renting
0: again. <laughs> yeah. But maybe free at some point.
1: Yeah, if it's Um, on HBO a bunch of times and you don't feel like changing the channel, let's... There
0: you go. Yeah. Uh, And if you want to watch Cape Fear, our loyal viewers, (laughs) uh, as of this recording in February 2021, it's available on Peacock, VHS, DVD, but as always, check your local listings. Um, as for the 1991 Movie Rewind podcast, you can listen to us on all of the major platforms. We certainly hope
1: so far.
0: So far, so good. It. We think <laughs> um, you can always follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind, or go to 1991 Movie Rewind.com for our full list of movies along with show notes. And other good stuff. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with Naked Gun 2 The Smell of Fear. See you then. Thanks.